Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is a from-the-field podcast that goes where you go to have those mastermind moments and aha experiences that move you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Occasionally, you may hear ambient noise in the background. You may hear differences in sound from time to time. We do not have a $25,000 Hollywood-level studio with soundproof walls It's an addition to the building. We don't go that far. In fact, I've been known to record for some pretty wild places, and we've had some of our guests tune in from some interesting places like uh, Rainforest in Columbia while it was pouring down rain, an airport hangar in Tel Aviv. You can hear the IDF jets right over during the conversation. So where you go to have these experiences is typically not the sterile environment of an office or a studio. It's when you get out there and you have those chance meetings with people. And that's what we do here at the Business Creators Radio Shows. We get to the mastermind level and find out not only some of the deeper meaning, but some of the deeper value behind the concepts that we share. Today, we have somebody here with us. I've wanted to have him on the show for a couple of years, actually, as he and I have crossed paths before. We were in a mastermind together. I've seen several of his other episodes, a couple of his presentations. Really fantastic guy. His name is Jeffrey. Deckman. And what we're going to be discussing today is developing the conscious leadership mindset for the 21st century. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeff here. Uh, I'm not going to share the entire thing, so I'm going to give him a chance to sort of tell his own story. But what you need to know about Jeffrey Deckman for now is he's a nationally recognized thought leader and award-winning author on the next evolution of leadership. Conscious leadership is recently Oh, oh, actually, it's called Conscious Leadership. His recently published book, Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century, won a total of four national and international Stevie Awards, and is an Amazon bestseller in the occupational and organizational psychology category. Ooh, brain stuff. He also won the 2021 International Business Awards Bronze Medal for Innovator of the Year. There's... So much more to him. I'm going to let him tell some of the story when we ask him the first question. For now, let's get him in here. Jeffrey Deckman, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. I have to tell you, I love the authenticity with which you open this program with because I think so much is lost because everybody has to be perfect and stuffy. And I like being real. So thanks for setting the stage for me to relax and to have a great conversation. I appreciate it. Well, uh, and thank and thank you. Well, furthermore, uh, I didn't want to read off your entire official bio a because i think some of that story will sound better coming from you and b because the part i did read was so impressive i'm not even sure i'm worthy to be here and this is my show (laughs) so let's get to that first question 
as I said, shared a bit about your credentialization, but tell us in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, you know, if uh, when I was a, a young man starting out in my career back in 1974 as a as uh, what they called a grunt on a cable television line crew, line, okay. uh, lineman, if you would have told me then what my path would include and where I would have ended up uh, at this point, I'm turning 66 in about another month and a half. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like I'm 46. I, I never would have believed you. I mean, I was not an academic learner. I, could, I couldn't wait to get out of high school and become a lineman and then a tower worker. And then I became a, a cable television engineer. And I just wanted to work with my hands. And I, I thought I was, I literally thought I was stupid because I didn't get good grades. But what it took me about 15 years to learn my early thirties is I was not stupid. In fact, I was, I was pretty bright. I just learned differently. I had to learn from an applied standpoint. So uh, that has shaped everything that I've done. So uh, I started my first business when I was 26 with you know, just a dream and no money and a lot of foolishness. But we built that to about four and a half million dollars a year in 1987 money. Offices in four states. We were a cable television design and construction firm. And uh, that business, unfortunate, well, fortunately crashed. Uh, it, so I, I went through a, uh, a corporate bankruptcy, which teaches you a lot about lawyers, IRS and yourself. And on the other side of that, I, I, I knew I wasn't done with my entrepreneurial journey. Maybe I just didn't want to go to work for somebody. And I started another company. Uh, it was called Cynet. And Cynet, I, I knew I wanted to get out of cable television and into the newly emerging and exciting uh, telecommunications world. So I built that company and I sold that a week before its 21st birthday. I took a lot of the lessons that I learned from the first organization that, that failed and plugged it into the second organization to help it succeed. And uh, the reason I sold that company to my management team back in 2005 was because I my passion is to help small to medium-sized business owners build their businesses and their dreams with less stress, fear, aggravation, and failure than I uh, th- than what my journey provided me with. So I'm in the business of helping people to shorten their learning curves so that they can accelerate their capabilities and their road to success. I've covered some of my thoughts about the educational system in general in many episodes of this show. I don't want to rehash all of that, but I think there's a couple of things that may be relevant to what we're discussing right now and some of your experiences. You mentioned the that you learn differently. And I believe that a lot of people, quote unquote, learn, quote unquote, differently. I believe that's sort of a false bifurcation. I believe everybody is unique and we all have things that we are really, really brilliant and passionate about. We have things that we couldn't care less about and are no good at. That's right. Now, how often does our educational system focus more on punishing us for not being good or passionate about something and actually take away our access to the things we enjoy and are good at so that we can struggle more with that thing that we don't enjoy, aren't any good at, because damn it, even though we've been spending 90% of our time trying to pass that one class, we're just not working hard enough. And if only we would stop goofing around and finally start studying and hit the books, 
that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. And, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, that type of talk can really kill the flame of uh, of the desire to learn in, in people. And it certainly did with me. I mean, I didn't read yeah. a book. Oh, my gosh, probably for literally 10, 15 years after I got out of school, I was just so turned off by it. But at the same time, I was in an industry that was growing so fast and was so desperate for people that they were training everybody. So I I literally became a top shelf field engineer and system designer for uh, some of the most sophisticated cable television uh, companies in the world at the time, back in the uh, in the 80s. And I never took a single college class. It was all done by sitting in the back of a van or sitting in my boss's uh, apartment or house at night, just at being taught by him and reading the things that I needed to, to read and climb the telephone poles and learn it out there. Uh, and that just gave me such, uh, it was a confidence boost at some point, but it's really formed the whole premise behind how I teach and educate and train people. Uh, if, if you've got a desire, you can learn about anything. You can accomplish anything. You, you know, you have to understand what you're not good at and give up on trying to be excellent at it and be okay with being a C student in certain areas, but surround yourself with people who are A students in those areas. And you, you, want, you want to form a highly functional team. And that's, you know, uh, th that's also a lot of the premise behind how I lead is uh, I teach people how to identify the capabilities and the unique abilities within people, how to position them for success, and then how to manage that knowledge network that their organization is. And it's not about getting people to focus on their weaknesses. It's about supporting them in their strengths uh, and you know, making sure you don't put them in a spot where they're going to fail. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't surprise you to discover that those things you discovered by mentoring with your boss and getting hands-on with it were things that you were taught in theory in school, but it didn't resonate because you're a different kind of learner, as they like to say. Yeah, I, I have to have my hands in it for my yep. brain to get it. Yeah, I bet you, bet you a lot more students uh, in our current system would do better with uh, the STEM subjects like mathematics, science, et cetera, if they were doing something other than drawing shapes on grid paper. Yeah. Yeah. I just have a well, funny feeling about that. Well, you know, the, the, the education system and the leadership system follows the same pattern and that's not by mistake. And that is top down command and control. Listen to the older person in front of you and don't collaborate with your teammates and uh, don't ask too many questions. Just do what it is you're supposed to do. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, that was good for the industrial age. And it's educated a tremendous amount of, tremendous, tremendous amount of, amount people. of people. Yeah. And that leadership model has built a lot of companies. But we're no longer in the industrial age. We are in a, a completely different age in human civilization. You know, there's only been about four of them. There's been the nomadic age, the agricultural age, the industrial age, and now we're in this technology age. So, you know, we're living in a very exciting point in history, but we have to realize that it's an, it's an exciting point in history. And a lot of the things that we've done in the past just won't work in, in, currently or in the future. So that's all my work is helping people shorten that learning curve between what part of the old systems don't work and what do you place, what do you replace them with 
that actually do work that you can do in the process of running your company. You know, it's not enough yeah. to get platitudes and to get theory and et cetera. When you're working with uh, front end leaders, you got to tell them the new paradigms. You got to give them the new mindsets. You got to help them see a new model. And then you got to give them methods that work right on the front lines. Otherwise, you're not you're not helping them at all. And uh, that's really what my passion is to help folks that, that want to learn the new ways to be able to learn them in a ways that doesn't frustrate them and actually excites them and and provides a pretty quick ROI within weeks, not years. Yeah, one of the in my book, Groundhog Days and Event Not a Business Strategy, I have a whole section on why you should invest in the silver lining of the cloud because silver is a precious metal. So to me, one of the silver linings of us going through the whole thing with the bug and everything is that we finally got to a point, at least to a degree, in workplaces where people say that's not enough of this. From the leadership side, they recognize the environment has changed so drastically. They know that continuing the command and control, and this is the way we've always done it, they already know they're doomed to failure. So they're, in some cases, driven to innovate. And then on the employee side or the recipient side, if you want to call it that, they can now look at this and they've seen new paradigms about the true meaning of life and mm-hmm. how they have leverage that they've actually had all along. They were just browbeaten into not using and say, oh, really? You think I'm going to come back to the office and sit in a cube farm again when I've been so much more productive and things have been going so much better since uh, we were forced to work at home by the mandates? Well, Tell you what, I've been speaking with your direct competitor. They are offering me a $50,000 sign-on bonus. They're going to give me 10% more money than you. And they can have me start Monday and I can continue to work at home full-time for them. So you have about three seconds to make a decision about your make me come back to work thing. Well, you know, the the power dynamic, and I, I use the word power with a small P, not a capital yeah. P. The the power dynamic between the employer and the employee has shifted. You know, we we have to realize that we have the four most independent minded uh, generations, literally in the history of humanity in the workforce today. Uh, You know, starting with the boomers and going to the Zers or whatever the the most recent ones are, you know, and I forget myself sometimes. Uh, Actually, actually, let's see, I'm an Xer. So that would make the Zers the newer ones. I get confused on the number of the letters sometimes myself. Yeah. So none of them want to be told what to do without knowing why we all want to be included. You know, the, the boomers, because we've been around a bit and we have something to contribute and the new and the new generations, because that's how they were raised. They've had input. So when you put that into uh, the workforce and then you add this extra spin of uh, that, the fact that the employees now have a lot more say because it's an employee market, not an employer market. We've got the great resignation. We have uh, this new generation is more interested in lifestyle than career. So you have all these things. So what we have to do as leaders and owners of companies is we have to adapt to that new reality. And it's not about putting your head down and surrendering. It's not that. It's about evolving and transforming into a higher level of consciousness that is able to tap into that the collective genius and energies of that workforce and to be able to align it 
because no matter, you know, humans are humans. We want to work in a good environment. We want to do good work that we're proud of, and we want to be successful. And, you know, right now there are 70% of the employees in the workforce are not engaged in their work. That's, you know, Gallup studies have shown that for years. And that costs companies just in America $500 billion alone because engagement equals performance equals profits. So, uh, but at the same time, they do studies and it shows that 70% of the people want to be engaged. Yeah. So, so that tells you it's not the people. Uh, and the work that I've been doing, you know, since I I, I sold my last company, uh, I spent two and a half years in a think tank. And, and, and in that period, I was looking at what are the changes and what are the new paradigms and what do we have to do to make things work? And since I built my business, they have to be operational for me. And uh, one of the things that I, that I discovered is that you really have to tap into that collective genius and you have to include them in the conversation. And when you do that, they will start to respond. You can't expect your employees to engage you. You have to engage them first. And you have to do it with authenticity, integrity, and respect. I call that leading yeah. with air. And uh, uh, I, was, I was about to ask about that phrase because I've seen you speak about that in other places. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, when I when I tried to shift, well, when I did shift from being an ego based leader to what I call an elder based leader, it was it was a maturing process I had to go through. And, uh, you know, I was a top down command and control guy because that's the only model you were taught. And when I was in a think tank, I, I realized that that just doesn't work for a lot of reasons. It's no fun and it doesn't respect people. So uh, as I started going through my process with that, what I had to do was I had to give myself some some boundaries. You know, it's like when you're a little kid and you bowl and you have the little bumper pads in the gutter. I, I had to have those boundaries to say when I was swerving back into the ego space. And what I found is that if I act with integrity, I'm sorry, with authenticity, integrity and respect, that keeps me within reasonable boundaries. And if I become inauthentic, which is me being aware of who I am and accepting it and being okay with it. Uh, and if I act with integrity, which is me being that in the world and being of good character uh, and trustworthy. And if I respect myself, the other person and the organization who's paying us, it's hard for me to make, make a mistake too big. And if I do, I just get back in integrity. I apologize. I acknowledge and we move on. So that leading with air has served me Every time I'm in a spot where I'm feeling the surge of emotion, you know, I say when you feel the surge of the emotion, resist the urge of the ego. When I feel that tension come up, I just go, wait a minute, authenticity, integrity, respect. And that helps guide me through without making as big of a mistake as I would have otherwise. Right. Well, uh, you know, we've covered some of the mistakes that leaders make. They don't realize they're making. Is there anything else we've left out? Well, I think that. You know, we all have things in our blind spot that we don't see, but other people do. And in my book is uh, a whole section on helping leaders to identify their blind spots. There's an exercise in there. I recommend people do it. And basically what it is, is you identify, you know, maybe three, four or five people that you're really close to who like you enough to be honest enough with you. Uh, and you ask them, you know, what, what are some of your your strengths and some of your weaknesses and you give them a safe environment to give you the feedback uh and then you accept it well and you'll really be surprised at what you what you get out of that 
And uh, because it's what we don't know that we don't know that hurts us the most. And traits or tactics that we use as leaders that may be working against us and we don't know uh, are, are really damaging. But once, you, once you're able to, to see them and you have the courage to be able to work on them, it starts to improve and people respond to you better. Yeah, yeah. So we have also covered some of the big differences between today's workers and workers in the past. And one of the points I made on several episodes of this, I encourage our listeners, just subscribe and find it. I tell the story again and again, is you know, you mentioned the generations. You mentioned the boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, the Gen Zers. And I think there's a couple we're missing in there. But where we are now is if you start with the millennials and work your way down, they are now basically the absolute majority in the corporate workspace, the industrial workspace, the entrepreneurial space. Mm -hmm. And what this generation, at least from my perspective, and I'd love your thoughts on this, by the way, is, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer and I, uh, I'm on the tail end of it. The millennials thing started happening three years after I was born. So Mm -hmm. I'm, basically in that same cohort and we were the first ones to have consistent access to high-speed internet without having to jump through hell and high water to find a device to log in through at a point where the internet already had a bunch of information on it so this from this from the millennials down was basically the first generation that was able to access information that enabled them to question and challenge the status quo, recognize patterns and resonance repatterning, and find not only the knowledge, but also the support to break patterns that really haven't been solving serving society for a long time. So what that gets translated into is Oh, look at these lazy young kids. They don't know the meaning of hard work. They just go into the office. They say, me, 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 me. Look at these big hotshot undergraduates uh, coming out of college five years to to finish your four-year degree, 23 years old, walks in their first day and says, well, when do I get to be chief? When do I get to be CEO? Okay, that's not the case. What's actually going on is this generation, as you said yourself, they actually are very brilliant, very passionate. They want to feel that the work they do and the contributions they make do something valuable. They don't have time for, well, because I, I said so, or because, well, I'm the boss and you'll do this. Like, yeah, so what? Whenever I hear the phrase, because that's the way we've always done it, my usual retort is, yeah, and despite that, you've somehow managed to make it up until now. Right, right. Yeah. Because you know, as soon as I as soon as I hear, as soon as I hear that's the way we've always done it, that's how that's how I know that they've probably managed to get there by the skin of their teeth and have been on the verge of failure many times. Now, if they give me, now, if they give me a variation of, well, you know, we've tested this and these are some of the results we've gotten. We've tested this other thing and we've gotten these results. It just seems like every time we try something new, we find out that the way we've always done it has been better. And here's the data that shows us why. Okay. That's a different conversation because maybe there, maybe there's something to learn there. But what I see there is a scientific approach that is driven by curiosity and an interest in improvement. Yeah, you know, uh, 
I, I read something many years ago, and it was this diatribe by this guy who was just saying how uh, how irresponsible and lazy that the youth of, of that day was. And then I looked and it was like somebody from Aristotle's time. Right. Yeah. So uh, the, the situation is that, you know, history is repeating itself here. The young are always impatient and they always think they know more than what they really do because they may have knowledge, but they don't have experience. Uh-huh. They're they don't have wisdom. Right. And it's really up to us as the elders, you know, tribal elders, those of us who are, you know, maybe in our even 40s, 50s and 60s to really embrace the, that younger generation and develop the type of skills, work with them to develop the type of skills that helps them to get into a, a place where they can bring their the unique perspective, fresh, unique perspective, blend it with with some wisdom. Uh, and you build a respect between the two generations so that you can best serve the organization. And that's, that's really what conscious leadership is all about. It's about getting out of your own head. And it's about taking a, taking a, a, a higher level of consciousness, applying a higher level of consciousness to leadership and to be, make it much more uh, communal, much more collaborative, much more communicative. And to basically have conversations with people and, you know, people follow you. They truly follow you, not because of a position you have or authority you have over them. They follow you based upon your level of consciousness. If they trust you, if they respect you, they will follow your direction. And following my direction is more important to me than following my directions. Because if you're following my directions, we have a command and control top down. Right? Yeah. If, if that means I have to manage you. And if I have to manage you, I have to fire you. I didn't hire you to manage you. I hired you to support you and to f- facilitate you. And I, I will do that. And I expect you to develop yourself and, and work, uh, you know, to improve yourself and do the best job you can. Not everybody's going to fit in that, in that uh, category, but a heck of a lot more will. And, you know, the other thing that you mentioned on when you talk about how, Uh, you basically had access to Google, is that uh, I think it was your generation, probably the Xers, that was the first generation that didn't need someone older than them to teach them. And they didn't have to go to them. Their their most go-to teacher was Google and YouTube. So now that even gives you a more independent-minded workforce. I I was doing a retreat the other day uh, with... Uh, management team and the owners of a company. They're they're about 70, 70 people. And uh, they were talking about the, the owners are in their 60s and they were talking about having to try to figure something out. And I saw this young woman, young, you know, she's like 30. Yeah. Uh, she, she's a manager in there and she's on her phone and she's on her phone and she's on her phone. And finally, the owner looked at her and said, put the phone down. You know, quit texting. And she said, I'm not texting. I just Googled the in- the answer to the question that you had. And I I stopped the meeting right there. And I said, okay, this is what we're talking about that we have to maximize. We have the youth who can get us, they can use technology to shorten our learning curves and our and our understanding curves. And we need to take our wisdom and our patience to shorten their learning and education curves. But just because somebody's doing something that you don't think you like 
it turned out that it was in absolute support of what the conversation was about and moved it along more quickly. And it was a perfect example on how those two dynamics working together are a very positive thing. But you have to allow for them and you have to invite them in and encourage it from both sides. Right. And, and if you do that, you're really going to build a powerful organization. And when you're a small to medium sized company and you don't have a lot of access to, you know, the best talent in the world, you, uh, you have some talented people. But, you know, we're, we're kind of walking around with some C-level players because not everybody's A-level. And a lot of times you can't afford to pay somebody to, that's a, an A-level. So we really have to do the best job we can to work together to maximize our strength, minimize our weaknesses and really strengthen the bonds of commitment we have to one another. Because if you can, if you, you know, we all depend on one another in the organization to be able to keep the organization going and the workers need it because they need the job and the owners need it because they want to keep their house. I went through a bankruptcy and a lot of people thought, oh, you own your own company. Uh, you're rich. Well, no, that's not the case. <laughs> and, I'll laugh again. I'll, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you when, when you work for a company that goes under, you're really challenged because you have to go find a new job. When you own a company that goes under, you're even more challenged because you may lose your house. You've got the IRS coming in. You've got bankers. You've got creditors. It's a it's a major, major disruption. So uh, the owners are very vested in keeping the business going. And smart owners know that human capital makes financial capital. Money doesn't make money in an organization. People do. So right. if you treat your people right, you get them engaged, you support them, you create a, a culture of, of connectivity in there, you, the money will show up. As long as you know what you're doing for a living, the money's going to show up. Companies don't yeah. fail because they, they necessarily run out of money. They run out of the ability to work together to be able to bring that money in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what's also interesting is, you know, I mean, Jeffrey, I know you've heard this expression. People don't quit jobs. They quit bosses. Oh, yeah. That's well, so true. Yeah. Well, the story that I've told on many episodes, and uh, this has actually been a little bit controversial because of the way I state it, but actually that's my intention to be controversial, is um, after I completed my MBA program, I did the whole thing of, uh, of you know job searching, networking, and I even got a couple job offers. But right around that time, I began doing some side work. My professional goal at the time was to become a uh, a training and development director for a Fortune 100 company. That was where I went. That's where I wanted to head toward, and that's why I concentrated in human resource management when I went for my MBA because that was the closest thing to training and development that was available within the curriculum at the time. So I ended up turning down the job offers. I started this thing where I had a company that. Uh, did uh, research and technical support for training and development firms, particularly the the smaller entrepreneurial types. And for two years, I balanced growing this business versus getting diagonally promoted at the same company I'd worked at uh, during my MBA time. And I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. And I saw the possibility of a future where I became a corporate ladder climber and at the same time, I always had my consulting shingle hung out and right. uh, was able to pick some things, which is a pretty common thing these days. Well, then come this day in November 
2004 when I found out what a useless fucking obtuse moron my boss's boss was. I mean, we're talking somebody who's so obtuse, they make Warden Norton from the Shawshank Redemption sound like somebody who was on the ball. That's how bad this person was. And I didn't realize what a loser I was working for. And this may sound a bit visceral the way I'm saying it. And yeah, I hope she's tuning in. Uh, So the point being is that's when the seesaw had all the weight shift over to the I'm going entrepreneurial thing and it slammed on the ground and there was no turning back. Now I still sat at that job for eight more months, but my, but my thinking at that time is how do I get out of here? And I I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't know questions asked. I didn't even know the questions were there, but I know with the knowledge I have here in 2022, I could take that back to 2004. I could have been out of there in about eight days instead of eight months, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing, and I also want to get your thoughts on this because I've been introducing this topic into some of my conversations related to culture and uh, inspiration and growth. If you have an employee that, or a virtual team member for that matter, who up until a certain time always seemed to have a lot of questions, always seemed to have a lot of ideas, and was the first to speak up if they felt that something was off kilter, uh, had a suggestion, had a recommendation for improvements. And then something happens, you don't, maybe you know what it is, maybe you know what it doesn't, but all of a sudden all that stops. And all they focus on is doing the job that you're paying them to do. Now you may notice that their metrics for how you measure their effectiveness in the job go up a little bit. So you're thinking, oh, I finally got them to just shut up, put their head down, and do what they're fucking paid to do. Great. Here's what's really happened. They slow quit on you. The reason it seems like they're doing a slightly better job is because they've moved from innovation to compliance. They've printed out their job description and have checked what they are doing to make sure that they are meeting every single bullet point on that job description, they're not doing a thing more or less. They're not working extra. They're not coming in early. They're not staying late. But they're doing exactly the job you paid them to do. So according to your metrics of what that job description, the person holding that job, are supposed to align on, they have, quote, unquote, improved. But they basically don't even work for you. Any brilliant and passion energy they're spending is either on starting a business or finding their next job. They've quit you. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for the next thing to come in. Yeah. They have a term for that. It's called presenteeism. Presenteeism. Oh, see, I learned something here. I'd never heard that term before. Yeah. You know, absenteeism, you're, you're home presenteeism. You're there, but you know, and I'll tell you as a leader and as a manager, you own that. You have to take responsibility for that 100%. Uh Because, the person came in and they were filled with energy and they were filled with ideas and excitement. And they, they were really a highly engaged employee. And through the things that you did and you didn't do, you showed them, you created an environment for them that that sucked that out of them. They showed up with it and you sucked it out of them. And yep, uh, you need to understand what that, how that happened, because if you did it with one, you've, you've done it with another. So yep. if you're a conscious leader, and a conscious leader is the one, you know, I, I, I have a saying, it's in the book. It says that the first step on the path to conscious leadership is an inward one. And so are all the rest. 
And what that means is I have to be self-aware. I have to I have to take responsibility for uh, pretty much everything that goes on for at least for looking at it. You know, it's not being about being neurotic and blaming yourself for everything. But when something's not going right with the team, the first place you look is inside and go, OK, what what am I doing or not doing or what could I be doing to be able to respond to this? And if you don't do that, then, uh, you know, you're certainly not a leader and you're really not much of a manager. And, uh, yeah, you really have to own that. And if you've got somebody working for you that is in a management position and is doing that, they're costing you a ton of money of lost employee engagement. And eventually that person's going to leave. But if if you create an environment where that person is excited, chances are he has friends or she has friends who are of the like mind and you create the right environments and you become a magnet for talent. You get your people that are uh, become performing. They take pride in what they're doing. They're excited about it. They're thinking about it when they go home at night and uh, you're attracting them, you're getting them. And then when you need to hire people, they probably have somebody in their friend network that they can refer. Uh, and I, that's happened to me in companies that I've, I've worked in, yep. you know, that I've built for 30 years for crying out loud. So, right. uh, yeah, you, you have to own that. And if, if not, then you shouldn't, I, I say that if you don't love people, you shouldn't lead people because. Yeah. Yeah. And you said something good. Yeah. And you said something else that was really good is if I have to manage you, I have to fire you. Yeah. And so I don't want to create the environment yeah. where I have you so oppressed and every time you say, how about this? I say, no, because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm shaving all your edges and creativity off. And then I wonder why you're not excited. Well, you're not excited because <laughs> I took everything out of you. It's my job to keep it yeah. excited. It's my job to keep people engaged. And then what happens, the payoff as a leader is you're not pushing people to get things done. The, the, the energy field from the workforce is coming into you because when people are engaged, they, they are actively working. So now you go from having to push people to get things done to guide them as they are getting things done on their own. And you work less, you have less stress, you have more fun and you make more money. And uh -huh. I mean, that's not pie in the sky stuff. I've been in the trenches for 30 years doing this stuff, actually 40 years. I mean, I was a supervisor when I was, 20. So, you know, I'm 66 uh -huh. now. So none of this is made up. You do this right. It will happen. And, uh, you know, I went from blue collar to white collar. I've been through every rung of the ladder and I've been treated horribly along the way many times. And then, uh, you know, when I told my father, I started my first business when I was 26, he said, well, Jeff, if you're going to work for a jerk, it may as well be yourself. <laughs> and I said, thanks, dad. You know, he, he was my mentor and my hero. And uh, I knew the flavor. He meant that. in. it sounds like a harsh comment, but it was uh, we, we had a good laugh over it. But uh, yeah, you know, and, and self-employment people that are working in small businesses, uh, they're heroes to me because uh, they're doing a lot with very few resources and that's why I look to show up and, and help them as much as I can through coaching and training and that kind of stuff. Because you give those people a little bit of help. They they do amazing things with it because they're not used to getting a lot of resources. And uh, they keep our economy together. The small business keeps our, our economy driving. The big boys, they're making their millions and billions and keeping it. 
and we're the ones that are making a couple of bucks and getting taxed on it. So we got to stick together and help one another. Oh yeah. 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 Certainly. We found out when, when the bug was flying around that, uh, that, uh, there was no danger to public health having Walmart open and the place just jam packed with people. But God forbid, if you let that local hardware store be open and there were more than three people in the, in the place at the same time, that was a super spreader. We had to stop that existential threat <laughs> to our entire community. Well, you know, yeah, gee, there was no profit model there. Pardon me for being jaded. Yeah. You know, there is if you look at a super high level uh, analysis of what's going on historically is we're in a period of time where it's the institutions versus the individual. The individual right. is more empowered than than we've ever been. We're more independent. We have access to the Internet, which allows us to communicate outside of government channels. We have access to news and information that's not controlled by three networks. And uh, what's and at the same time, we have these institutions that want the same thing that we want for ourselves is we want our money. They want our money. We want our time and to benefit from our labor. They want our time and benefit from our labor. And the institutions are government, higher education, big pharma, big business, big oil, big, et cetera, et cetera. And they're doing their thing, but it's not in our best interest. And what's happened with the COVID uh, experience here is whether you're vaccinated or not, or whatever you think about that, it can't be understated that government made a huge grab towards uh, civil liberties. Uh -huh. and I, I was involved in politics for 20 years. I ran a whole lot of campaigns and I yeah. understand I, I understand government and how it works. And I understand politicians and how they work and don't work. And anytime government can get bigger, it wants to keep what it has. And it becomes... Uh, bigger, slower, more powerful, and hungrier. And the bigger the government gets, the smaller our opportunities get. So we're really in this place here where we have to be careful about how many liberties we surrender based on fear. Because the media and government and big pharma and all that type of stuff, they, they manufacture fear by the gallons and send it out so that we fall into line with what it is that they want. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy and, you know, I, I don't get way out on that stuff, but right. I'm a futurist and I pay attention to what's going on. And you look around, you can see that trend. And, and, and we need to be conscious leaders of our own lives, uh, let alone of our companies, but our, our lives, our families, et cetera, to be able to think wisely for ourselves, make good decisions and not get caught up in emotion. Well, you know? cer certainly. Uh, I mean, uh, you have you have command and control, and then you also have divide and conquer, uh, which yeah. is what some of the the motives are behind us. And I tell you, since the uh, COVID thing began, uh, you know, I've had a few experiences where I've had to carefully explain to hotel security guards that no, it is not possible to drink through a mask. Uh, I actually had to deal with that one once. And then uh, and then random people who think they have power over you. Uh, I like to say that there are that one of the other revelations that we got as a result of the COVID experience, because you speak about uh, command and control, the power of the individual and being just generally aware of our surroundings, what's really going on is that just in the people around me, the people I knew and people that I was aware of from before COVID. I 
got I got education on three things. Number one, which of the you know let's call take this group of people collectively, which turned out to be the ones who would understand and embrace the power of the individual. Which ones would volunteer to work for the Securitate full-time for free if they had the opportunity? And then the third thing I learned is how many surprises I got, which people fit in which category. You had some in, you had some individualists that uh, you never saw coming. Yeah, you know, I was at a cigar bar several months ago when the vax, anti-vax conversation was going on, and I walked uh-huh. in afterwards. I didn't. I only knew like two people, and there were probably like... 11 of them at this networking meeting and there was a big yeah. conversation and it was pretty heated, you know, the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, et cetera. Uh-huh. And they asked me if I was vaccinated. And I said, you know what? I don't talk about that because that only serves to, to participate in a dividing conversation. What I want to talk about is the challenge that people on both sides of that discussion are having. They are scared. They are concerned. They're trying to do the best thing for themselves and their family. So we align on that. We just may disagree with the best way to go about it. So can we look at each other as caring parents, caring children, Uh caring humans and friends, and then respect the other person's position? Because this is not easy. Nobody knows one way or another whether the vaccinations are safe or not to be vaccinated is deadly or nobody knows. But everybody's trying to struggle. Or, or make the best decision. So let's have some compassion for the challenge that we're all in. And that goes back to that conscious leadership stuff. You know, you're either leading with your ego and your fear and your emotions, or you're leading from the standpoint of being an elder, mature, patient, thoughtful, being able to handle two different opposing ideas at the same time and make room and respect either of them. You know, we, uh, we, we, we basically process information as humans, either emotionally or intellectually. And that's, that's pretty much how it's said. But there's another level on that, too, and it's consciously, because intellect can be overrated as well. Uh, but there is, you know, we all have this inner elder, this higher self of us that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and it's quite quiet. You know, it, it doesn't argue to be heard. But if we can just take a different approach, uh, something that's more respectful of people and be authentic with what you think, act with integrity, but respect yourself, others, and, you know, the, the bigger picture of things. That's really what we need to do. And, and when you're someone who does that, regardless of your position in a company, people will follow you. Yeah. They'll follow that level of consciousness and you will be a person of influence. And, you know, as long as you're influencing in the right direction, what a better way to, to spend your time while you're down here is to be in service of others in, in such an important way. And again, it's not about going around and hugging everybody and singing Kumbaya. You know, this is a warring planet we're on right now. So, oh, yeah, there, there has to be compassion, but there has to be consequences. And, you know, so we need to find that balance. But just take it easy on everybody. Everybody's struggling right now, regardless of what side of any of the myriad of issues that are out there that people are, are wrestling with. Uh, we're, we're all in an uncomfortable place. And I think if we can see that in one another, we can come together and, and work things out a little bit better because we're, it's a tough road we're on right now. So why make it tougher by pushing each other off the truck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I know, I know. And, uh, and whether you're talking about politics or 
also whether you're talking about the workplace, you're talking about uh, yeah. your virtual team, you're talking about yeah. your business allies, your JV partners, whatever it is. Yep. I believe that, and this has been just my personal experience across the board, that regardless of what supposedly divisive issue that you may be working on, whether it's a political issue, a social issue, a business issue, whatever it is, that there tends to be, and this is a slight oversimplification, but it's important, there tends to be general agreement on the what and the why. Where the divergence takes place is on the how and by whom. Right. And that's where you know, you're really touching on one of the most important aspects of leadership is the ability to execute on a strategy. Uh, and, you know, you have your MBA. They probably didn't spend a whole lot of time on the science of execution. A lot of strategy, uh, a lot of really high-level, valuable knowledge and training, et cetera. Yeah. But the ability to execute, there's a great book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. I've read it a couple of times and I have all kinds of bookmarks in it. But basically what they talk about is, you know, you really need to be clear. Pick no more than three things, identify them clearly, and then uh, determine what has to be done, when it needs to be done, who's going to do it, and then set up a, a cycle of accountability. And those are the four disciplines. Uh and when you have that accountability, that's what helps you to execute. And they go into a great process on how to set up your meetings so they don't last two hours. They last like 10 minutes as people are reporting out because you either got it done or you didn't get it done. And if you didn't get it done, what are you going to do now to get it done next week? We don't want to hear about how your dog ate your homework or your, your whatever got sick. You know, let's just we're here to execute. So. Uh, and you know, that's another part of conscious leadership as well, because there's a lot of, how many times does a topic come up in a meeting and everybody goes, good idea, next topic. It's like, Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Good idea. Who, how, when, and how we're going to report on it. Otherwise the things don't get done. And that drives the morale of a, an organization down and erodes the impression people have of you of your leadership skills because you talk, but you don't get things done. And, well, uh, yeah, I could go on about meetings. Uh, I, I have this thing, I call it the FIPSO formula. Now, FIPSO is an acronym that's used in the oil and gas industry, but I've created my own FIPSO formula that applies to business and entrepreneurship. And it, ha and it has to do with the four types of people you have in meetings. You have your facilitators, your presenters, your seconds, and your observers. And it's my belief that meetings in their efforts to become quote-unquote inclusive have actually yeah. become exclusive where it goes back to is remember in school we were graded on participation how often we raise our hand how often we spoke in class etc 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 what that translates into in the adult world and i believe is so much of what we become as adults is imprinted as children and having the resources of the internet and the support networks to find the patterns and break them. Yep. It translates into meetings into, I'll give you an example that illustrates the point. I was in this one meeting once and they decided to go around the end and see if anybody else had anything to add. And one of the, and one of the uh, attendees who had already spoken several times spent, and I timed this. I looked at the clock on my 
computer when they started, and I looked at the clock on my computer when they ended. They spent 13 minutes explaining how they had nothing more to add <laughs> because they were because the more I think about it, it's that programming of if you're not seen as providing leadership by making your voice heard, you're quote unquote slacking off. Uh, this goes back. I mean, if we want to talk about my my obtuse fucking moron of a boss's boss in the last company I worked for. And yes, I'll keep saying that phrase. I don't care who thinks anything about it is, um, is uh, I was as part of the job I had required to attend some cross department quarterly meeting where my submission to it was a report that was half a page long. that was automatically generated by a computer program. And I had to sit through two and a half hours of this meeting about topics that were about as relevant to me as uh, as the potential to purchase ketchup is to a tomato farmer. And then I get quote unquote feedback that I seemed bored and distracted during the meeting. And I said, yeah, I was very bored and extremely distracted. This is two and a half hours that I could have spent actually producing something. Instead, I had to listen to, I listened to the peanuts teacher. Would you expect me to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try. I'm going to try so hard to be more engaged. No. Yeah. You know, that's at, that, at that point, I had the short timers disease. Now, if you'd rewound two years ago before that, when, before I uh, be, before I became a presenter, to use your phrase, I might have actually developed a written action plan for how to be more valuable in this pointless meeting. But once I became a presenter, it's like, yeah, it's a dumb meeting. Can I please not go anymore? Yeah. And that's where uh, companies, that's where that $500 billion of loss comes from, from employees not being engaged. And, you know, that's another part of being a leader that will either make or break people's impressions of you as a leader is whether or not you can conduct a meeting, whether you know how to facilitate one where you get the, uh, the, the, the chatterbox or goes on and on and on, you know, there's a, the leader needs to go in and redirect that. Uh, and you're constantly reading the room, you know, is this something of interest? I mean, there's been times when I thought this isn't of interest to the group, but I see the group's interested in it. So it's like, okay, well, obviously it is. And then there's other times where it's just not. And a leader who can't lead a meeting is uh, is really going to have a problem having the respect of everyone. And, you know, meetings are really expensive. You've got a lot of people in there and with with their loaded salaries are probably anywhere from 40 to uh, 80 dollars an hour. So. And, and yeah, and, yeah, and one, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a corporate environment or or like a W two type environment, uh, you have to think about the actual value of that employee's hour, what you're paying them. Once you count the benefits and the expectation of return on investment, and with uh, contractors, virtual team members, what have you, you may not be paying them benefits. You may not even be legally able to tell them what to do uh, because it would fail one of the three tests as to whether they're an employer, yeah. employee, or a contractor. However. The fact is, is um, you may be paying them $200 an hour and then multiply that by the 10 or 15 people you're dragging into these meetings. So you're going to pay, so you're going to pay all those people. You're going to pay literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on pointless chatter. 
Yeah. And the other thing is you're not only going to pay that money out, but you're going to lose the money that they could be generating for you if they were working in the space where they produce for you. It's a double hit. Yeah. You lose the time. You, well, it's actually more than a double hit. You lose the time. You pay the money. You uh, lose their energy because they get sapped in it. And you lose uh, the opportunity costs because they're not able to produce for you. So, you know, yeah. that's why that's why all my focus is on how can I teach the blocking and tackling basics of this next level of leadership so that people can start learning it today and leveraging it tomorrow because you're hemorrhaging money and you don't even know it because there's not a line item on the uh, balance sheet that shows money lost due to lack of engagement. It just shows up as low profits. So yeah. it's really hard to get your handle on it. You don't realize how much how much money you're leaking, but it's tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, you just start making some small adjustments and it can make a big difference in your balance sheet. And what happens even before it comes in on the money side is the morale shifts that your work environment starts changing literally within weeks if you take this stuff seriously. Uh, and uh-huh. then that's a benefit because people don't all, you know, people don't work for the paycheck. They work for the for the environment. They want to be on a winning team. They want to feel good about what they're doing. So if you can provide that, uh, that right away starts to change the dynamic in your organization, not only for the people, but with how they relate to you as well. Your job as a leader and manager gets easier because they're working with you instead of rowing against you. Let me give give you give you one more thought here uh, before we start to wrap up. Uh, you know, I've made allusions to my boss's boss and uh, how people do quit bosses. They don't quit jobs, even yeah. if they're quitting the job to start a business, which is what I on paper was doing. Uh, I remember after I'd given my notice and I was having my uh, I was having, I guess, uh, one of my final meetings with my actual direct supervisor. And he made a comment to me like, you know, you and I were doing some great things together. And uh, I had this vision that if you could have just stuck around for another year, uh, we could have gotten you to this and we could have innovated this. And I said, you know, take that up with your, bo- take it up with your boss. She's the reason I'm leaving. Mm. And he gave me this look and he, and he just nodded and said, I know. Yep. So now you have a person who supervises 13 people sending that message. Yeah, and that is a result of generations of command and control top-down yeah. leadership that, that looks at metrics and not people. And right. that's, that's the biggest shift. You got to shift away from financial capital as being your focus and human capital being your focus because your human capital makes you your financial capital. And metrics are important. But if that's the only thing you lead by, you are leading with a blunt object. And it's going to, it's going to come back. It's like a boomerang. It's going to come back and hit you. So, yeah. uh, and it's just the way it is. I mean, anybody listening to this can, can think back, like, would I rather work for a jerk or somebody who treats me well? And who am I going to, who am I going to work more with? Uh, it's just, you know, there was a book written by Robert Fulgram in the eighties called everything I needed to learn about life. I learned in kindergarten. Uh And that's kind of what, that's kind of what conscious leadership is about. It's, uh, you know, this is not rocket science. And the more people learn about what it is that I'm talking about, the more they realize how much they already know about it. They know how how intuitive it is. This is not 
it's not complex. It's tricky to put in place because it requires a lot of self-control and self-awareness. But uh, you start doing it and people are going to respond quickly. And those that don't, because you have some bad eggs, well, you work them out. You know, you, 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 either, you either move them up or you move them out. And if they don't want to be part of the new culture, that's okay. Give them the opportunity to work for somebody else. And the, yeah, yeah and, and, and I would add, uh, don't stand in their way and even support them. There's, there's something to be said for, uh, and, and, and now I'll give Skip Weissman, uh, who's the uh, creator of your championship company, full credit for this one. And I quote it in my book, is if you find out that your employee is interviewing with other companies for new jobs, or you find out that your virtual team contractor is looking for opportunities with the idea that they're going to phase you out, best thing you can do is tell them you support them. Tell them you'll even help them any way you can. Yeah. Just ask and just, and just say that you have one expectation in return. For the remainder of the time that they're with you, they give you 100%. Yeah, I've, I've hired a lot of people. I've fired some and I've helped a lot on their way because, you know, not everybody is going to retire from from your company. So, yeah, you bring them in, you pay them well, they treat you well. And then when it's time for them to, to move on, you support them because you want them to have a good career. And, uh, you know, and that's also the thing to do as, as a decent human being is you want the best for people. So uh if if they treated you well and they're moving on for a better opportunity you know they're grateful for what they learned from you and there's no reason not to maintain a good relationship and uh especially if you're self-employed who knows they might become a client down the road and i've had that happen oh yeah yeah you got to think about that and you're also going to remember the circle of life uh even 20 years ago when i finished that mba um i had people asking me oh they say oh so you've worked for this one company for the two years you're going for your mba well, I hope you're not trying to get promoted there. I hope you're looking to work for somebody else. Because if you, uh, because if five years from now, people see that you've just worked for the same company for seven years, they're going to ask questions like, what the hell is he doing there? Doesn't, isn't he, isn't he motivated? Does anybody want to hire him? Yep. Which was a big shock from what I still had been told up until that time is you find some company, you work your way up the ladder. No, people are moving, making diagonal moves across companies, sometimes across industries. And you never know when that employee that you just want to piss off when you throw them out the door might one day, maybe they don't become your boss at the next company that you want to work at, but maybe they have the ear of the person who makes that decision at the next company. You know, you can't, or, may, or maybe, or maybe you get to your next company. You're there for about six months and Oh, that person you pissed off when you threw them out the door. Okay. So they're supervising my project now. Gee, this will be great. Yeah. You can't go wrong by respecting people at every, every turn on the road. You know, some yeah. people you have to distance yourself from and, and do so, but uh, you can do that. You can do that quietly. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like in, unlike in the movies, there is rarely that moment when it comes to like friendships dissolving, um, work relationships uh, just coming to an end. And I would say about 95% of the time, it just kind of tapers off. Mm -hmm. There's very rarely some showdown where you say, I am going to be ceasing communication with you now, Jeffrey. I feel that our circles of life are such that we're spinning in different directions and to continue to be in your energetic frame is going to be desultory to my ability to thrive. 
It doesn't work that way. I'll just uh, I'll just slow play your voicemails until you stop calling. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're at the top here. We got to wrap up. Um, I invite everybody go to www.jeffreydeckman.com. Go to his website. He's got white papers. He's got information about some of the processes we've covered here, including the the M3 process. This is all great stuff. If anything that Jeffrey said to you today has got you leaning in a little bit, wanting to discover more, go to jeffreydeckman.com. If you want to connect with him on social media, the links to do so are right there, jeffreydeckman.com. Go there. And uh, he's also got white papers. He's got resources and all kinds of educational materials that might take you even to the next step beyond what we've discussed today. So with that, Jeffrey, I'm sorry, God, if anybody's a self learner, there's a lot of stuff on my website that they can work through on their own with this. So feel free to go in and do it. And I'm doing a a training class starting September 13th. Anybody wants to get more information on that, just email me at Jeffrey, Jeffrey And it's going to be a real powerful class. It's going to cover all this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, that's another reason to be connected with him because he runs courses like this on a regular basis. So with that, Jeffrey Deckman, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure being on. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.